On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we interview esteemed soccer journalist Grant Wall on the ever-growing American talent pool in Europe. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to the Ness and Soccer Podcast. I'm Mark Benedetto, and this week I am not joined by Marcus Omard. Marcus is on vacation, but we are very excited today to welcome seasoned veteran soccer journalist and host of the Football with Grant Wall podcast, Grant Wall himself. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, well, Grant, your career has covered pretty much the entire soccer universe, uh, but I think a lot of people know you through following the U.S. men's national team. So that's what we're going to focus on today, if you don't mind. And um, specifically, we're going to kind of zone in on Europe and the suddenly large number of young American talent competing at high-level clubs in high-level competitions. Um, Now, a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about have been on the radar for a while, but I mean – you know, I think a lot of people five years ago maybe said to themselves, oh, wow, these, all these young guys can, can really turn into something years from now. But it seems to actually be taking place. And, like, you see players moving to Juventus and Barcelona and Chelsea. Um, and when you actually see field production, truly taking place American soccer in Europe, in club soccer in Europe. Yeah, I mean, this is a a really interesting phenomenon, and it's not – we're seeing the results of it right now just because so – we got several young American players moving to really big clubs in ways that we haven't seen before. So, you know, Christian Pulisic to Chelsea – uh, Weston McKenney to Juventus, Serginio Dest to Barcelona. Um, you know, what Gio Reyna is doing at 17 at Dortmund is extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Adams is scoring goals that win Champions League quarterfinals for Leipzig. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of excitement around that. Uh, we've just seen the, the, the rosters come out for Champions League group stage and it's a record number of American players. There's 10 that will be wow. playing in the Champions League group stage this year. And, and guys like Conrad at Barcelona, who is just breaking into the first team, but it's not even just Serginho Dest at Barcelona. It's, it's Conrad who's played for yeah. national teams. Um, so all of that is, is really exciting. The one thing I'm saying to folks is, like, because a lot of people are asking, like, right now, what's, what's happening right now? But this is a process that mm-hmm. has taken place over time where we just happen coincidentally to be seeing the results of these big club moves right now. And so, yeah. you know, I, I went to, to Germany um, a year and a half ago and did a big you know, video project for a week where we drove around Germany and, and spoke to Pulisic, who was still at Dortmund. Tyler Adams, uh, Chris Richards, who's at Bayern Munich and playing now, um, you know, players like that. And it, it's just, you know, Weston McKenney we spoke to as well. So like mm-hmm. you could see this coming to an right. extent, 
that these young Americans, those guys were all 20 years old at the time, were playing for, for real Bundesliga teams and getting real playing time. I don't know if I necessarily thought that Weston McKenney would move to Juventus because like the other <laughs> option it looked like was Southampton, uh, which isn't quite the same thing, but here we are. And, and, and here's Weston McKenney starting the first two league games of the season for Andrea Pirlo's Juventus. So um, like it, it's, it's exciting. It's something we hadn't seen before. Uh, in terms of this many young American players at big clubs. And it comes at a really good time because U.S. fans are still very much scarred by failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. And, Absolutely. And so to have the excitement that they're having now over, over where these players are club-wise is you know, good for them. Yeah, I, I agree that the, the cloud of, of the failure to qualify is – is certainly still felt and there's definitely a tension. I think a lot of fans were excited for World Cup qualifying to get back underway, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. And of course, coronavirus put a stop to everything. And uh, from a U.S. soccer perspective, it's just kind of been this hurry up and wait. You've known that these young players are are right there ready and you kind of uh, maybe making a tons of different mock rosters in your head of what the team could look like. Um, and now to actually see it kind of come, come out on the field is it's very encouraging, but we mentioned Weston McKinney. Um, I think personally, he might be in the best overall situation of any of the men's national team players uh, in Europe. Um, just because the the people around him. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, is one of the greatest players to to ever play the game, and Andrea Pirlo is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So, um, when you look at the various men's national team youngsters in Europe right now, who do you think is in the best overall situation to develop their game? And um, you know, maybe people would still say that Pulisic is the best player, but who is just sitting in the best situation, would you say? I mean, what's really cool about answering this question is you can make an argument for a bunch of different guys yeah. because, like, there's a lot of different options here you could pick. I mean, like, with, with Christian Pulisic at Chelsea – you know, he's already gotten the number 10 shirt. He basically earned that in the second half of last season. There were games after the restart when Christian Pulisic was Chelsea's best player and, and maybe even the Premier League's best player. Mm-hmm. So he, he crossed a threshold at Chelsea that I think it, it, it put him in a different level there. Now, what he needs to be concerned about most is being healthy enough to play. And mm-hmm. it's been sort of a, a defining characteristic of Pulisic's career so far that he has not been able to be consistently on the field for a long stretch of time without having some type of injury. So I, I think that's a, a major thing for him. Um, and, you know, you look at McKenney, and I think it's great that he's getting to play on a Juventus team that, has won so many Italian league titles in a row now. They know what it takes to, to win that league. There's high expectations. 
um, there's a clear expectation of what McKenney's role is going to be there, which is above all else, win balls, cover space, be a menace, but, mm-hmm. but also contribute to the attack. And I think he's capable of doing that. I think it's great for him to play along people like, like Cristiano Ronaldo. With Pirlo, I think there's a, a, a real upside possibility there, but he's also a first-time coach. And so we still want to see, I think, how Andrea Pirlo handles the pressure of being the Juventus coach. It's a, it's a new task for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tyler Adams, I think, is in a great place at Leipzig um, where he's gotten opportunities to play a lot. Uh, he's dealt with some of his own injury issues, but when he's healthy at this point, he's, he's basically a guaranteed starter there. And mm-hmm. I just think his understanding of the game, his versatility, the amount of space he covers, uh, and just his overall leadership, I think we're going to see Tyler Adams at a place like Real Madrid or something of that stature in the next two to three years. Um, he's that good. Yeah. Um, and he's playing for a great coach right now, Julian Nagelsmann, sort of the, the boy wonder of, of Europe. So I think that's a good coaching situation for him to be a part of. Gio Reyna is already way beyond what anyone expected. Yes doing at, at Dortmund he's still just 17 he's starting games he's coming off a three assist game where he got a standing ovation as he left the field <laughs> um, he seems to have a really good partnership and understanding with Erling Holland who's just obviously a, a terrific world-class goal scorer emerging himself and they're like the and super best friends <laughs> it, it's it's kind of funny I mean like but it's cool and and you look at Dortmund and what they did with Pulisic and what they've done with so many young players, it's just the ideal place to be for mm-hmm. a young emerging talent because you know that they will work to improve players. They will give young players playing time. Um, and you can blossom there in a very short amount of time. And that's what Gio Reyna is doing before our eyes. I mean, I, I interviewed him recently for my podcast and the way he talks about the game, he, he, he doesn't sound like a 17-year-old, you know. He sounds mm-hmm. like a guy who has talked to Claudio Arena a lot about soccer, which is what he does all the time, because Claudio was a very cerebral player too. But just the way Gio talks the game, you're like, whoa, like, you know, this guy is, is super advanced. So, yeah, I mean, sky's the limit for Gio. I mean, like, Dortmund's obviously one of, you know, one of the top teams in Europe and yet it's also a launch pad. And so at the rate he's going, I mean, it's sky's the limit for Gio. So let me ask uh, you this with, with Gio Reyna. Um, and I was going to ask you, I guess, originally about this with Christian Pulisic is which player are you most excited about? Who do you think has the highest ceiling? Is it still Christian Pulisic? Cause we brought up the injury um, question marks and they've been a lot of smaller injuries in the grand scheme of things it's not like he's torn an ACL or anything but they there have been several um, that have kept him out for sometimes months at a time uh, meanwhile you mentioned everything with Gio Reyna being so young and developing dare I say even faster than Christian Pulisic developed in the same environment so um 
you know, just when you take a scope of the U.S. soccer player pool, who, which player most excites you and has the highest ceiling in your opinion? I mean, again, like this is a cool answer. It could be <laughs> any number of these guys, right? I mean, like you have to keep in mind, Pulisic is still young. He's 22, but he's five mm-hmm. years older than Gio Reyna. And, and a lot can happen in those five years. And so just due to those five years of difference in the fact that Gio's 17, you'd probably say that Gio's ceiling is slightly higher. But then again, Christian Pulisic is nowhere near being a finished player at age 22. And so there's Mm going to be some things that he adds to his game, which is already formidable things that we've seen him do, like in that game against Liverpool, where he essentially took over the game after coming on and, you know, made Jurgen Klopp into a gif, his reaction to one of those goals. (laughs) Um, Like that's, what's so cool about this. It's not just that you've got American players at big clubs. Now you've got, really young American players at big clubs. And so you're excited about what they can become now. And, you know, it's like, I, and I think they bring different skills to the table, which is good too, because, you know, yeah. Gio Reyna is, can play out wide, but he also, I, I, I think, you know, we'll see what Greg Berhalter does, but like, I, I still think Gio is potentially more of a 10 with the national team. In, in terms of the position he'll play, not the number he'll wear. And I, I think Pulisic is going to be more of a guy starting out wide and cutting inside. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Pulisic has, has played the 10 position and, and can play centrally. Um, I just see the things that Gio does in terms of passing, vision, scoring himself, that I, I think that might be the best situation. And you know, I, I look at McKenney and Adams, and even though those guys are capable of playing multiple positions, I, I think their best position is central midfield. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I certainly hope uh, they get used by Greg Berhalter. Well, so what excites me most is not necessarily even the top tier of American talent in Europe, which is, you know, obviously very exciting. But it is the sort of depth that we seem to have developed. Um, And not just in Europe, but I mean, we no longer are relying on, um, you know, and nothing against the MLS, but maybe some MLS quality players to be, you know, our two and three best guys. Um, Right now, you know, you could create a whole a full lineup with uh, European-based players and and absolutely be very competitive. Um, so I do want to kind of get into maybe let's call it a slight second tier of uh, the Americans in Europe, and I'm talking about guys like Josh Sargent, Tim Ream, John Brooks, even Tim Weah. Um, with all of these guys, some, you know, maybe had a lot of uh, attention when they first signed with their Bundesliga club or not Bundesliga club, but European club. And um, maybe a guy like Tim Weah, who seemed to be like a PSG prodigy and is he falling behind, but is it overall just having the, the depth of players in Europe? Do you think that that is just a benefit overall or is is there anybody that maybe is in the wrong situation in Europe? Well, I mean, in the, the sort of age old discussion over Europe versus MLS, 
you need to be getting playing time, you know, if mm-hmm. you want to be a contributor to the national team. So all other things being equal, I, I think it's probably preferred to have playing time in Europe versus playing time in MLS. Um, that isn't to say that there won't be players from MLS who contribute to this U.S. national team. I, I think Jordan Morris, Sebastian Legette, uh, Aaron Long, um, you know, players like that, jo- Josie Altador still mm-hmm. um, can, can be starters you know, on this U.S. men's national team and, and might end up being starters. Um, and, you know, that depends on are they playing in MLS? Are they playing well? But it's certainly not something that should cause them to be withdrawn from consideration. That said, you know, like in Europe, you've got sort of this tier of five, I, I would say five pillars, like five mm-hmm. young pillars. So that's Polisic, Adams, McKenney, Reina, Dest. Yeah. Those to me are sort of the five pillars who are really important parts are going to be really important parts of big clubs, you know, champions league clubs in Europe, a player like Josh Sargent could certainly, you know, you know, playing for Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga and and seems to be getting starts. Um, That's like, I think he's not in a bad place, even though, you know, Werder struggles at times. Um, You know, with Tim Weah, he he missed so much time with injuries that you really hope he can stay healthy now and, you know, earn more time for Lille. Um, Just because, you know, there's good players there. You know, he's sort of behind in the pecking order. Jonathan David, who, you know, has really come on strong, Canadian player who was bought for big money by by Lille. But, you know, I think Weah is capable of getting back into the mix and, and into the mix of the national team. Um, yeah. You know, I, I look at, I'm trying to, to think about any, like Zach Steffen. At yeah, I was going to ask you about City. him. Um, it's a good sign that it appears that he's going to be able to, to play for Man City in cup tournaments. That's my sense at this point. And do you think um, that's enough? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I mean, like this, this year, um, mm. I was actually, you're talking about players I was concerned about heading into the season and Stefan was one of them, which is like, would he have been better off being loaned out again to like a Bundesliga team where he would have been the number one or, you know, how much time is he going to get with sit with Manchester city? And as of, as of now, he appears to be the starter for, for league cup. I expect he would be for FA cup. Um, and I think that potentially could be enough and you never know what's going to happen with Aderson's health. You also mm-hmm. hope that, that Stefan continues to be the number two. Um, so, you know, we'll see there, but yeah. you know, um, I think there's certainly positive aspects about playing some games and training with Man City every day and, and Pep Guardiola. Um, uh, sorry, but um, I, okay. So we've kind of jumped across Europe and and back again. Um, when when you think about the U.S. men's national team, um, obviously European 
like we're in an international break as we speak and European sides have had the luxury, I guess, of being able to play competitively again. I think they're in their second international break of competitive competition. And now Conma Ball is also beginning their World Cup qualifying. CONCACAF isn't beginning their World Cup qualifying for, you know, uh, I think June 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the U.S. men's national team won't play competitive league for a very long time. And, you know, they'll play friendlies, and hopefully as soon as November they'll play friendlies. Uh, but what, in your mind, is going to be good preparation between – now and the World Cup qualifiers um, and will have you feeling positive going into the U.S. campaign to qualify for World Cup 2022? I mean, honestly, just it's more so for me about these guys getting good seasons and lots of games at their clubs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like there will be a lot of games in calendar year 2021 unless we see more postponements. And so there will be opportunities, as you mentioned, with friendlies for the U.S. players to get together. I think there's a real hope that that happens in November with European-based players. Um, I think Wales is, is one opponent. They're, they're working on another one. Mm -hmm. um, and these guys want to get back together and play again. I mean, like, that's one other good thing about this young group of U.S players is they really like each other they like spending time with each other they like playing with each other they're on a group chat together all the time and they get really excited about the possibility of just hanging you know being with these guys so is it is it true that christian pulisic once hosted a uh, thanksgiving meal in his apartment have you heard yeah. about that <laughs> yeah well i mean like and and you know he's tight with you know mckenny and and all those guys and they lived in a pretty Know, close area together over you know in western germany so you know you, you like that you know with, yeah. with national teams it's a lot about sort of team spirit collective spirit because you're maybe not doing as much at a at a, at a high tactical level because you're not around each other that much but mm -hmm. how you perform in a in a tournament whether it's the gold cup or the world cup you know i think that that stuff comes in handy. If you don't like each other, that's not going to help. Yeah. I, I, these guys really just want to get a chance to play together. Uh, and, and that can be in friendlies. Um, that can be in nation's league that can be in gold cup or, you know, even the, the world cup qualifiers themselves, obviously you have to really get down to business for those. And you just hope that that's not as stress inducing a process for players and fans alike this time. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get to our matches of the weekend. But before we do, I want to ask you one last USA soccer question. This is a guy that's come up on the past few podcasts for us for a couple different reasons. But Jesse Marsh, uh, the head coach of Salzburg, um, American manager in the Champions League, in the Red Bull system. I, my simple question is, is he a future U.S. men's national team manager? Um, I before I even before you even answer, I mean, you know, years down the line, I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. The answer is yes. Uh, the short <laughs> answer. Um, and I don't, you know, 
I go back a long ways with Jesse Marsh. Uh, I'm friends with Jesse. He was in my graduating class of college together. We, we've known each other for a really long time. Um, what he's done already in Europe is something we've seen very, very few American coaches do. Basically none, you know, like the, to, to be coaching in the group stage of Champions League with Salzburg, playing well against Liverpool and Napoli, getting back into the Champions League group stage this year, dealing with the losses of Erling Haaland and, and Minamino. And, you know, that's what Salzburg is. They produce young players. They produce them to sell them. And you have to deal with that and just keep the pipeline going. But there's pressure, obviously, to, to keep it up. And the thing about, like, Jesse Marsh and the national team is I kind of want him to see how far he can go at European club level before he yeah. thinks about taking the national team job. But there's a pretty big caveat here, and that's that the U.S. is hosting, co-hosting a World Cup in 2026. Mm -hmm. And whoever gets hired to coach the U.S. team in that cycle, there will be greater global and domestic interest than ever before in being the coach of the U.S. men's national team during that period. And so... Who knows? I mean, obviously, if Greg Berhalter qualifies the U.S. for 22 and they go and play in 22, then the question afterward is going to be, who's the coach going to be for 23 to 26? Mm -hmm. And who knows, right? I mean, yeah. and so much is dependent on how Berhalter does. Maybe he'll be a candidate for 23 to 26. Um, maybe he won't be. Um, and at that point, if he's not, then Jesse Marsh would be the obvious American candidate. Yeah. But, but you'd still have a lot of global interest from big name coaches to coach the U.S. in a World Cup that they're hosting. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. That was fantastic. U.S. Men's National Team Insight. Um, certainly a lot to look forward to in the coming years. And I, I just can't wait until these guys do finally hit the field together. Um, even for a friendly, it'll be an exciting thing to watch. Uh, but let's get into our matches of the weekend. We're going to pit one match from this weekend. We're in an international break um, in Europe and in South America. So uh, Grant, I'll give you the uh, first pick. It's a weird time, right? Because there's actually very few games on Saturday and Sunday anywhere. Uh, most club uh, leagues are shut down during the international break. And most of the international games are taking place on like Thursday, Friday, and Tuesday. So I'm going to go to South America because the South American World Cup qualifiers are my, basically my favorite World Cup qualifiers aside from anything <laughs> connected to the U.S. It's just, they're insane. It's, it's a yeah. long round-robin tournament. Everyone plays each other, holding away. And much as happens with Copa Libertadores, wild stuff always happens in South American World Cup qualifiers. And so if I'm going to pick one of them, there's a lot of good games this week, I'm going to pick Bolivia hosting Argentina. And I know Bolivia is not a South American powerhouse. 
Uh, I think they made one World Cup ever in 1994. But crazy stuff happens when Bolivia plays at home in World Cup qualifiers because they play at a very high altitude. And we've seen some wild games over the years. There was another Argentina team with Lionel Messi that lost six nil in a, in a World Cup qualifier at Bolivia, Oof. where I remember watching that game and like great Argentine players couldn't move on the field in the second half because of the altitude. It was just such a <laughs> joke. And so it's the great equalizer. It helps Bolivia and keeps them in just about any game that they host. So obviously Messi's with Argentina. Um, it's always like a question with him and Argentina of like, are they ever going to get their full potential out of what they've got? And mm-hmm. I feel like these days they're closer to doing that than at any other time in Messi's tenure, except for 2014 when they got to that world cup final. So um, we'll see how it goes because if Argentina were to go to Bolivia and not get a win, you probably still have some sky is falling type commentary from the Argentine media, which is always yeah. interesting. And, and Messi can get kind of volatile sometimes himself when things don't go well with Argentina. Right. Maybe so, he'll retire and unretire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I just think it'll be must-see television and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there with you on Calma Ball World Cup qualifying. I'm going to go with Brazil versus Bolivia. That happens on Friday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern in Brazil. Um, I, I, I like you, I was unsure of which matches to pick uh, because there is uh, Euro qualifying and Nations League going on. But I saw that Neymar exited Brazil training uh, with back pains and uh, wow. is unlikely to, p- to play versus Bolivia. They also play Peru on Tuesday. Um, so I'm just, you know, but it's pretty much mirroring everything you said. Uh, the Comma Ball World Cup qualifying is essentially its own league in and of itself. Um, and it's, it's among the most entertaining soccer you can ever find uh, worldwide. Um, so I'll be looking for the Brazil matches this weekend. But Grant, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to give you a chance um, because you are doing so many different things right now. Uh, Why don't you just uh, let let our listeners know where they can find your work and and what you're working on recently. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Grant Wall, W-A-H-L. I host a a twice a week soccer interview podcast. It's called Football with Grant Wall. And you can find that anywhere you get your podcast. We've had a lot of good guests uh, over the last few months, uh, people like Jurgen Klopp, uh, Gio Reyna, Fabrizio Romano. We've just got Becky Sauerbrunn, the two-time World Cup winner, out in the most recent one. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And then uh, I have a podcast uh, coming out with Blue Wire uh, podcasts called American Prodigy. And it's a six-episode podcast series on the Freddie Adu story, uh, which I covered for Sports Illustrated over the years and is always something that you know i thought there would be like a a 30 for 30 done on freddie at some point and it's never happened and so anytime you you think about something you could do a 30 for 30 on that's a story i'd be interested in in doing a big uh project on so absolutely uh so i spent the last you know three months or so 
uh, doing a bunch of interviews uh, and then putting together this six part podcast series. It's set to come out in mid November. Uh, we just put out the trailer this week and yeah, I was uh, gonna got say, a, lot, cool. a lot of good response. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that, that trailer definitely got me a little pumped up for some Freddie, Freddie Adu news. And I, I admit, yeah, I, I'm out of the loop on, um, I don't know what the last thing I heard about Freddie Adu was. So I will definitely be giving that a listen, looking forward to it. Um, and finally, uh, just want to thank our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, please continue to join us on iTunes and Spotify. Just search Ness and Soccer Podcast, like, comment, subscribe, download, all that stuff and let us know how we're doing. Um, follow along with the Nesson Soccer Podcast also at nesson.com slash podcast. Uh, but one final thank you to Grant Wall for joining us. Uh, thanks so much. You know, you are welcome anytime. And uh, everybody else, enjoy the nas- international break. Turn up the rebel radio. Wise, you must have to know. Turn up the rebel radio.